Undeceptions podcast. Small Wonders with Laurel Moffat. Not long ago, there was some repair work going on at my house, my 100-year-old house. There'd been some water damage, and as the damage was assessed and repairs begun, we found out it was worse than anyone had realized. A supporting beam under the porch. Wait, that makes it sound like there was more than one. What I mean is, these supporting beam had rusted almost completely away. Through the work of water and time, what had once been a thick beam of metal became a thin line of rust on its way to disappearing. The replacement of the beam ended up taking a while. This was because it wasn't a regular run-of-the-mill beam, a straight stretch of metal that could just be cut to size. This beam was curved, and the curve was particular to itself. And because of it, the beam had to be completely remade, forged brand new from scratch. The curve affected everything related to the repairs. What might have taken a few weeks turned into months and months. What struck me as I waited for the beam to be made and then waited for the beam to be installed and then for the beam to be covered by battens and tile, was how the curve of this beam was so integral to the porch. The integrity of the beam was essential, of course, for without it, the porch or veranda would fall, as would anyone who happened to be on it at the time. But the particular curve of that beam, its ratios and dimensions, the shape of its curve, determined the shape and the nature of the porch itself. The porch wouldn't be the same without it. Once I started thinking about the shape of this particular curve, I couldn't help but see them wherever I looked. Have you ever noticed how curves are pretty much everywhere? If you haven't, all you have to do is crack open a book by Theodore Cook to realize this. The Curves of Life was published in 1914 and written by a person fascinated by curves and spirals, maybe even obsessed with them. One of the best parts of this book is that it has pictures. 415 pictures of curves found in nature. Who doesn't love a good picture book? Cook says that the curve and the spiral shape that it's a part of, quote, is to be seen throughout organic nature, in shells, in plants, in the bodily structures of humans and animals. Of course, what Cook wouldn't have been able to see in 1914, but was discovered five decades later, is that the curve is so much a part of human life, it's even found at the molecular level in the double helix of our DNA. The more I read about curves, the more I looked for them. And thanks in part to Theodore Cook, the more I saw them. 
and curves are everywhere. They're in the curl of a young fern frond and the twist of a sheep's horn. They're in the curve of a shell and the twist of a vine or tree trunk. The curve of the arms of a hurricane. The spiral arms of our galaxy. The curve in the space-time of a black hole. Curves are with us from our very beginnings. They're in the twist of the umbilical cord that sustains life in utero. The twist in our humerus as it forms and grows in our legs. Even in the shape of the womb that curves around an unborn child. And I've been told if you listen closely enough, you can even hear curves. I have to admit that I can't actually hear them, but mathematicians and musicians point out that some music follows the shape of a curve or spiral, namely the Fibonacci sequence. You can find it in Bach's Goldberg Variations or Mozart Sonatas, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, even in a song by Lady Gaga. And according to NASA, there's music even in a black hole that follows this mathematical musical curve. Curves may be one of the most natural things in the world, but they take a whole lot of work to create. To build a curve takes effort and time. It takes equations. It takes the manipulation of matter and materials. Curves, as natural as they are, don't always come so naturally. Curves are all around us, outside of us, within us and in the very substance of our bodies and bones and cells. But some say they can be found deeper than that, beyond the visible, and that they're more a part of us than we know. They say we are each born with a curve, one that can't be seen with our eyes or even with a microscope. This one can only ever be seen with the eyes of the heart and mind, usually with some outside help and means of perspective. This is what some would call the human condition. In the City of God, Augustine discusses curves, specifically the kind of curve within a person that naturally curves in toward itself, rather than outward towards God and others. The reformer Martin Luther picks up Augustine's thoughts and describes the curve of the human condition as naturally curved down and in on itself, rather than curved outward and up to God and others. This curve is so inward that it affects the use of anything, affects the use of everything, so that a person will, quote, use not only physical but even spiritual goods for his own purpose, and in all things seeks only himself. The gravity that shapes this curve is the self. It looks only at what the self wants and desires. At first thought, an inward curve sounds pretty harmless. 
I mean, if it curves in, what harm could it possibly do? Surely it's better if there are knives, they're pointing in rather than out. However, according to Augustine, according to Luther, according to Paul, and for that matter, even according to the writer Flannery O'Connor, such an inward curve is ruinous. A bit like the decaying curve lurking underneath my porch, this curve rots everything. Shattering relationships, dissolving communities, leaving us empty, hollow, cold. In O'Connor's short story, Everything That Rises Must Converge, we are invited into the curve of the concerns of the protagonist, Julian. He's educated with no prospects. He's frustrated with his life. But more than this, he's frustrated by his mother. And his frustrations seem to fill his horizons, which become the horizon line of the story. He wants to be in a better place, to be settled and employed, but mostly he wants to be free of his mother. His mother annoys him, and we soon learn why. She's racist, full of petty concerns and second-guessing, worried penny-pinching, and wistfulness for a glorious past that never existed. She isn't comfortable with her present reality, the civil rights era, because she doesn't like the changes that have come about as a result. But according to Julian, the problem's not outside of her, in society, but within her. The problem is, as he says, quote, you haven't the foggiest idea where you stand now or who you are. As readers, we're invited to align ourselves with Julian against his racist mother. We're invited to find her as annoying as he finds her. We are invited to cringe at the way she treats the black woman and child who board the bus after them. We are, in short, invited to curl ourselves within the curve of Julian's concerns and hate her as he hates her, is ashamed of her, and disgusted by her. But by the end of the story, and I don't wish to give away the ending, the reader may find that there are dire consequences to such a position. If the reader reads closely enough, she may find that such hatred for another person is fatal. We cannot survive in such a curve. Julian's accusation of his mother, we realize, is just as true of him as it is of her. And then, following the arc of that thought, we may find as we read that it's also true of ourselves. Do we know where we stand? Do we know who we are? 
We're born in a curve. The whirl of it rounds in on us. Like the beam under my porch, left unattended, the curve within us will eat itself away, and us with it. This sounds very bleak, I know, and it would be, were it not for another way. Another curve that's on offer. There's hope. We may start out curling inward, but it isn't how we have to end up. A curve can be remade, refashioned, but not by ourselves. In the pages of the Christian scriptures, there's news of another curve, a better one, forged by God because of his great love for us, as the Apostle Paul says in one letter. This new curve offers a new orientation, a new kind of gravity, not on the self, but on God, for the sake of others. In another letter, Paul explains, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And such a curve, once set in a human heart, is never empty, but can be filled with good things, overflowing with them. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, peace, love. There is no end to the good that can come from such a curve. In nature, there are two kinds of curves, left and right. And in terms of the human heart and condition, there are also two kinds, in and down, or out and up. In and down, seeking the self, or up and out, seeking God, loving God and others. The curve that we have, that we live by, changes everything. It affects everything. It's worth asking, do we know who we are? Do we know the direction of our curve? An Undeceptions podcast.